You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley on Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast from the 5th of May. And this week, we discussed how to combat shyness in children. That's as a study out of Canada examines whether shy is something you feel or something you are. We spoke to the lead author of the report and also to UAE teacher Toyin Godfrey about how they manage shyness in schools. Plus, as the number of Dubai's university students swells to over 30,000, we found out why studying here is a good option for both residents and expats. We caught up with the KHDA. We spoke to an educational consultant and a whole bunch of students who are currently studying right here in the Emirate. Plus, we talked about how UAE schools are celebrating the UK King's coronation, if at all. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the Agenda. Welcome back to our special Eye on Education programme. Now, we're going to take a look at student wellbeing because in the UAE, at least, it is certainly coming under the spotlight. That is thanks to a new wellbeing strategy that was introduced last year. And the first year of wellbeing evaluations show that three quarters of Dubai's schools, at least, were rated as high or very high for their wellbeing provision in this year's school inspections. Now, one emotion many children can struggle with at school is shyness, particularly in the early years. And this week, we spotted a fascinating study out of Canada, which examines whether shy is something you feel or whether it's something you are. Now, we wanted to find out a little bit more about it. So earlier, I caught up with the lead study author, Kirsty Poole. Now, she's a postdoctoral fellow at Brock University, Ontario, and she studies social and emotional development. And she told me why she started this study. I'm particularly interested in studying shyness because we know that social interaction is fundamental to the human condition. And so I'm really interested in better understanding, you know, what happens when people are afraid to interact with unfamiliar others and sort of what are the implications of this across development. And how did you conduct the study? What was the actual process? For this study, we had about 150 children come into the laboratory and we asked them to deliver a speech in front of a video camera, in front of an experimenter. And we told them that later we would show this video to other boys and girls that come into the laboratory. And this was sort of to amp up their social stress and make them feel, you know, self-conscious or experience the features of shyness. So during this speech task, we afterwards, we coded their behaviors that we think are indicative of of shyness. So for example, their gaze aversion, how much time they spent talking. Concurrent to the speech, we also collected measures of physiology to sort of get at what's happening under the skin and to collect measures of uh, physiological arousal. And then after the speech, we also asked children to report how nervous they felt while they were giving the speech uh, on a scale from zero, which was not at all nervous, up to 10, which was extremely nervous. Uh, We also had parents complete a questionnaire to assess the child's level of temperamental shyness. So this was collected at the laboratory visit and then also was assessed again one year later and then two years later. And so what we did is we looked at how those different indicators of shyness, so the behavior, the physiology, and the affect, if those clustered together for some children. And basically what we found is that there was a subset of about 10% of the children who showed consistently high levels of shyness across each of those levels. And they were also rated by their parents as having higher levels of temperamental shyness across the three visits. So did you find through that research that shyness is something that you feel or would you suggest that it's something that you are? Because I can imagine in that situation, I mean, I'm, I'm a slightly different case because I speak in public for my career, but I can still get nervous in social situations rather than on the radio, if you know what I mean. So it can be different in different circumstances, as I imagine the children could as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So What we found is that there was a subset of about 10% of children who 
were sort of consistently shy across each of those measures and rated by their parents. And so for those children, we think that shyness is part of their personality or their temperament. And that would kind of correspond to, you know, shyness is something who we are for that subset of children. But interestingly, in the study, we also found that about 25% of children, they did report feeling nervous while they were giving this speech, but they weren't rated by their parents as being particularly shy. And they also didn't show the behavioral or physiological indicators of shyness. And so for that subset of about 25% of children, that might be more so the subset that are experiencing state shyness or shyness in certain social situations. So at least with this this set of children that you are analyzing, you got to the bottom of whether or not they were shy as their personality or that certain circumstances could make them shy. But to what end should we be seeing shyness as a as a problem, for example, or something that parents need to help their children overcome? In general, I would say that shyness isn't something, you know, that's necessarily a problem. For a lot of people, they experience shyness as sort of a normal personality trait. But at the same time, we know that shyness is a predictor of, you know, anxiety and other interpersonal difficulties later in life. So for children who are maybe on the really extreme end of shyness and are showing impairments in different parts of their daily functioning, then maybe it's a cause for concern. But at the same time, there are many shy children who, you know, grow up to be thriving adults and don't really experience uh, a lot of psychosocial difficulties. Does your study indicate that it's something that could be overcome? So say you noticed that a child was feeling particularly shy or nervous in these types of environments. Is there a way of encouraging children to become less shy? Yeah. So in this particular study, we didn't uh, assess whether or not there were ways to help them overcome their shyness. But sort of in other literatures, there is some work to suggest that Children who are shy in childhood, typically, you know, they're not going to grow up to be the most outgoing adults, but relative to their childhood, they might be a little bit less shy. And this might just be due to the fact that as you grow up, you're forced to interact and engage in social situations, you know, that are scary. And so you develop coping mechanisms to be able to kind of interact with others or face those social situations that are a bit more feared. Really interesting study there by Christy Poole. Now, she's a postdoctoral fellow at Brock University in Ontario in Canada, studying social and emotional development in children. And it's really got us thinking here on Dubai Eye, really got us thinking on the Eye on Education program about, you know, whether or not uh, shy is something that you are or something that you feel. Also, whether or not it's something that you should try to cure in children, so to speak. And I know how emotive that word is. You know, actually, maybe it's rather lovely to be to be shy. Is it something that parents see as a problem or is it something that parents embrace? It's just something that we thought would be worth exploring here on the agenda. Uh, lots of messages already coming in. So please do join the conversation 4001 or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 Lovely message here from Mona who points out that being an introvert doesn't necessarily mean being shy. You can be extroverted and shy and vice versa. Shyness is a feeling just like any other feeling and there's nothing wrong with that if it doesn't prevent the person or child to evolve. Now unfortunately a lot of people, Mona says, think being shy means lacking confidence which I believe is not true. Now Rajan's got in touch saying I have a four-year-old son. He He's an extrovert at home, but in his school or outside, he actually becomes the opposite. Really interesting messages here. Another one saying, my seven-year-old is an extrovert with certain people and super shy with others, whether they're friends or family. Meanwhile, my five-year-old, who grew up in the same home, of course, is as brave as a lion and doesn't care less what he says to who. I'm super shy, even though I can socialise one-on-one easily, and it's completely to my detriment. Really interesting there about people talking about their shyness and how it feels to them and how they see it in their children. Uh, I have... I'm not shy, I think it's fair to say. And, and and interestingly, I sort of made that comparison of being an extrovert or an introvert there, which I think probably is separate to shyness. And I haven't had shy children either. They never went even through a phase of hiding behind my skirts or anything like that. Um, so I'd be really interesting to know what it's like in your household, you know, whether it's something that you've tried uh, to 
I don't know whether you've got a shy child and you try to bring that out of them or whether you just embrace them as they are. Interesting to hear. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to the programme. It's 11.34. We're in the midst of our special Eye on Education segment when we basically do exactly what it says on the tin. We look at schools and university stories and we're discussing shyness on the programme this morning after the publication of a fascinating study from researchers in Canada which asked, is shy something you feel or something you are? Now, as we just heard, those researchers found that around 10% of the children they studied experienced shyness at a level which could be viewed as a personality trait, while a further 25% experienced a more situational form of shyness or nervousness around certain activities, such as public speaking. Now, while situational shyness is not in itself a problem, the sort of extreme shyness which prevents a child from interacting with their peers can be. And with the KHDA's new focus on well-being in Dubai's schools in mind, we wondered what can schools do to help support and encourage young people who may be experiencing that extreme form of shyness. Now, a little bit earlier, producer Jennifer Crichton caught up with Toyan Godfrey, who is a year six form teacher and an art teacher at the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. She wanted to explore this topic a little bit further and Jen began by asking Toyin, how shyness tends to present in the school environment. With parents' evenings, you tend to have parents that will provide that disclaimer. It's almost like, my child is really shy. How have you found that they've gotten on? And so with that disclaimer, you often find that you are already given that information and certain students or young people will present different types of traits in the classroom. And as I mentioned, having exposure to those opportunities to really work on the way that they speak and conduct themselves amongst their peers, their level of confidence is actually increased in the classroom. Parents are aware um, of their, their children's traits and in ways in which they can help, there are a number of strategies in place. When we're thinking about engaging young people, engaging them in activities that really allows them to flourish and pursue their passions, that is so important because in a way you are also modeling confident behavior you're demonstrating how a, a child can feel a little bit more comfortable in different scenarios. It's also about creating safe, supporting environments. So validating the feelings of a child, providing positive reinforcement and opportunities to practice. Those that are non-threatening, in a safe space, celebrating those achievements. All of these things are really key to ensuring that a child feels seen and, and also works through that shining. Now, the researchers behind this study that we're looking at found that while there was, I think, around 10% of children who displayed constant levels of shyness, that it almost was a personality trait, there was a further 25% who their shyness was much more situational. It was related to things like public speaking. And obviously a Mm -hmm. lot of those things come into the educational environment, whether it's school shows, whether it's giving presentations. What can schools do and parents at home preparing their children for school do to minimise the kind of anxiety-inducing element of those parts of, of education? So it's really important to bear in mind that, you know, some children are naturally introverted. They're just naturally that way. And others, it is situational. And so having, you know, school productions, assemblies, and even transition events can be daunting. Really important in the classroom is creating those opportunities where the students have manageable goals. These goals are, you know, may look different from one child to the next and opportunities to promote and celebrate the things that they are good at. Um, Feeling anxious and uncomfortable in social situations is common. Um, However, it's all about preparing them with the tools in order to navigate those difficult situations. And it often can be a matter of practicing, um, for example, for a school production, practicing before a presentation, having opportunities to speak to your peers before a a class presentation so you feel a little bit more comfortable and making sure that groups or students are in smaller groups so there's less feeling of pressure when presenting to the entire class or year group. So it's really ensuring that they have those almost steps and manageable goals in place before they are 
they are almost presented with the, the main event. And are there any don'ts for dealing with a shy child in terms of encouraging them to take part in these things without them feeling forced, for example? How do we approach that? Well, it's really important to never label. I think that's so important with regards to any type of trait because it's not fixed. A child can be one day very shy and the next, you know, extremely confident depending on the scenario. So it's really important to read and observe the body language of the child and the behaviours. And if you find that your child or student is feeling a little bit apprehensive, a little bit nervous, you need to read that situation and think about how can we approach this in small chance? What could we do with the situation? What could we present? Maybe it's just the beginning or the intro of a presentation as opposed to the entire thing. Maybe you need a little bit of help or assistance of buddying them up with a peer in the classroom to ensure that they feel a little bit more confident. And these are things that can happen over a period of time in order to build that confidence. Obviously, you're an art teacher. Do you find that there are particular subjects that are helpful for children who might experience shyness where it comes to encouraging them to express themselves? And and what subjects should we be looking to to kind of be able to do that? Well, I would always advocate that art. So you're looking at the likes of music and drama. And for some children, that could be the most daunting experience. However, these subjects, like many, and I wouldn't just pigeonhole, there are opportunities to build those skills and to prepare those tools in order to navigate those difficult conversations, those difficult situations. So it's all about honing in on the child's passion. What are they interested in, their area of of confidence? What is it that they actually enjoy? And once you've got that as a starting point, then you're, you're ready to really explore that a little further. Really interesting there to hear from Toyin Godfrey, a year six form tutor and art teacher at the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai, about how they explore, how they manage shyness uh, within the school gates. Really enjoying all of your comments that are coming through on shyness. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. If I ask those, if I say the word wellness, to you what does it sort of make you think of I immediately go for yoga retreats or maybe therapy but it is quite hard to quantify isn't it but it is a quandary a quandary that the UAE's educators are determined to grapple with they're going to get their hands on it and they're going to figure it out because Dubai schools have introduced a new well-being framework now that came into force last year but thanks to the strategy parents with children in Dubai's private schools can now judge a school by the wellness of its pupils. Uh, And I'd be intrigued to know how big a deal that would be from you, whether you'd want a a school with a higher well-being quota and maybe a a lower educational achievement quota. I'd be be interested to know which was most important to you. But thanks. um, The good news is that this this year's school inspections show that three quarters of the education establishments in Dubai provide either a high or a very high level of well-being provision. So in some situations, you're not going to have to make that choice, which is good news. But we wanted to discuss the figures in a bit more detail. So earlier, I caught up with Nora Al-Sadi. Now, she is a senior inspector at the Dubai Schools Inspection Bureau for the Knowledge and Human Development Authority, the KHDA. Now, they look after Dubai's private schools here. And I asked her sort of overall about the aim of their report. The aim of publishing the parent summary reports was mainly to provide parents with quick and accessible information on different aspects of school quality, which parents have told us that matter the most to them. Well-being provision was highlighted as a key area of interest in addition to the quality of teaching, the evaluation of key subjects and the different areas uh, presented in the report. So are the schools here in Dubai doing well when it comes to well-being? And how do you rate that? Because well-being is quite an ephemeral concept. According to this year's inspection, 74% of our schools were rated as very high or high. So this clearly indicated that a large proportion of our schools are successful in setting and pursuing a well-being vision. They take their students' well-being seriously and active in promoting their well-being. 
We have published the Wellbeing Matters Framework, which focuses on several areas of provision, care and support provided by the school. It also touches on the outcomes. In other words, to what extent are students safe, happy and able to thrive in the school? And the results that have been coming through have been positive, I understand. Children, essentially children here in the UAE are happy. Yes. Well, that is good news. Now, I mean, obviously you want your children to be happy, but then when you try and get into the practical ways in which you can make them happy, obviously sweets and things like that make them happy, days out make them happy, but how can you make them happy in practical terms in schools? So well-being is about providing care, guidance and support by trusted adults in the school to ensure that they're safe and have access to well-being support whenever needed. In practical terms, schools should have a clear vision for well-being, considering the context of the school and their community. We're expecting them to engage with their communities, parents and teachers, and clearly communicate that shared vision for well-being. Another key aspect to it is the use of reliable data on their students' and teachers' well-being to create a holistic school approach uh, to well-being, including dedicated curricular programs and the teaching of social and emotional skills. How would you say that schools are ensuring their children are happy? Based on what we've seen in schools within this inspection, this has been implemented through creating safe, caring and predictable learning environments where children can demonstrate positive attributes, attitudes and engaging happily with the curriculum and with each other. How would you like to see that develop more, though? Because obviously there was that great figure that, you know, that suggested that 80 percent of children in Dubai schools are happy. But that does still leave 20 percent who aren't. So there is still room for improvement. How would you like to see schools react to that figure? How would you like to see them make progress? We'd like to see our schools continue to put the care, safety and happiness of our children at the heart of everything they do. We'd like our schools to plan for their children's well-being and listen to their children's voice. We also expect school leaders to consider more fully their systems of evaluation, monitoring and review in order to further develop the capacity to sustain and embed well-being improvement over time. That's Nora Al-Sadi. She's a senior inspector at the Dubai Schools Inspection Bureau for the KHDA. So if our children are learning more about their emotional well-being at school, how can we help them bring that learning into the home? A little earlier, we spoke to clinical psychologist Dr. Summer Fakro, who said that parents should not underestimate the impact of learning about their emotions. We know that regulating emotions is at the foundation to being able to learn any new skill. We can't learn when we're feeling dysregulated. Our thinking and logical brain switches off when our big feelings are switched on. Um, So what we often see with children is that we might see a child disrupting the class, becoming withdrawn, maybe daydreaming or becoming preoccupied with other things happening outside of the class. Uh, We could also see a lot of friendship breakdowns And because of these things, when a child hasn't been given the opportunity to regulate their feelings, they end up missing out on many developmental opportunities, both socially and academically. Okay, so emotional regulation, clearly very important. But, you know, even as parents, we can struggle with that sometimes, particularly, for example, when you're stuck in traffic. Uh, So how can we and our schools teach that skill in a way which kids can understand? Fakro says it's all about being age-appropriate in our approach. The first step required for a child to be able to regulate their feelings is to be able to recognize that they're having the feeling and ideally name that they're having the feeling. So conversations and education around what feelings are, what they're called, what they feel like in the body, what they look like in my face when I'm having that feeling are all really essential to developing the skill of emotional regulation as a child develops. So from as early as FS1, they can be thinking about the different colors associated with emotions, how different faces look with different emotions. Up until senior year, they can be thinking with their students about their own complex emotions and maybe feeling related to different characters in their novels, for example. 
Dr. Sama Fakro there, who's a clinical psychologist from Lighthouse Arabia. Really interesting food for thought uh, if you're on the school run or even if you're managing to skip it today like I am. Uh, but interesting to get your comments on that. Lovely to hear from Abdullah Seem, who says, we want our schools to score very high in everything from well-being to academic, even dancing, but not so much in fees. That is a very fair point then. Uh, Also, Ingrid's got in touch saying, we all experience shyness, but it's interesting about how we handle it that differs. Extroverts get extra chatty. That's what happens with me. Introverts go inward. Extroversion and introversion are where you get your energy from. Really good explanation there. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. And welcome to your weekly edition of Eye on Education, which is our chance to take a deep dive into all the education headlines crossing our desk over the last few days, whether it's schools or university stories. And we've got one big story, actually, that's broken in the last few days, haven't we? Jennifer Crichton's joined me in the studio, uh, producer and journalist, and she's been looking through most of the headlines. What's this um, story about the university? figures. So, student numbers at international higher education institutions in Dubai are up by 8% over the last 12 months. That's according to figures released by the Knowledge and Human Development Authority, or KHDA as we know them, who say the total number of students currently enrolled in universities in Dubai exceeds 30,000. Also increasing is the amount of international students choosing Dubai to complete their higher education, rising 12% comprise nearly a third of all students. Another interesting data set on graduates shows more than 80% who graduated from a higher education institution in Dubai in the last two academic years are already in employment or undertaking further study. And the KHDA says that's good news for Dubai's developing knowledge economy. Speaking on the agenda earlier this week, Dr Nitish Sugnani, who's Director of Higher Education Classification and Rating at the organisation, says the city hosts almost 10,000 international students. These are students that come to Dubai specifically for the purpose of higher education. In terms of the the mix between part-time and full-time, nearly 80% study full-time and the other 20% study part-time. We've got around 60% students uh, enrolled in undergraduate programs and 40% in graduate programs. Uh, These tend to be working professionals that also have a job in Dubai. Okay, so why are students choosing to come here? Well, that's the question we asked Madhav Juneda. He's sales director at the consultants Crimson Education, but he also went to university here in the UAE. And he says the international makeup of student bodies here is appealing, but not the only draw. It's a very unique undergraduate university experience. And what I also saw among my graduating class was a lot of them picked Dubai and Abu Dhabi as places for their first shop. And this was across top companies in education, in technology, in consulting, finance, and so on. So we do, from personal experience also, do see Dubai and the UAE emerging as this hub where fresh graduates want to launch their careers. Now, that's not the only story that came out of the Knowledge and Human Development Authority, or KHDA, this week. They have been keeping themselves busy uh, because they also published their school inspections reports. And they uh, were very positive reading, actually, because according to those studies, nearly three quarters of schools in Dubai provide high or very high levels of well-being provision. That's right. It's the first year that the Emirates Education Regulator has evaluated well-being and included it as part of the new parent summary reports. And now parents with children in Dubai's private schools can judge a school by the wellness of its pupils. That's thanks to a revised version of the summary report that outlines key findings from school inspection results. With the development of a well-being curriculum, a new focus area for many schools. The documents have been developed by the KH and provide parents with information on the quality of teaching and the areas of strength and improvement. Noura Al-Saudi, who is Senior Inspector at the Dubai Schools Inspection Bureau for the KHDA, explained what inspectors are looking for. Wellbeing is about providing care, guidance and support by trusted adults in the school to ensure that they're safe and have access to wellbeing support whenever needed. In practical terms, schools should have a clear vision for wellbeing, considering the context of the school and their community. We're expecting them to engage with their communities, parents and teachers. 
and clearly communicate that shared vision for well-being. We'll be hearing more from Nora as the programme progresses. And we're also going to sort of get into the nitty gritty of what wellness means, because it sounds like quite a woolly term to me. And so if there's a wellness framework at schools, I kind of want to know what that actually means. And what's really interesting is actually in delving into this, we've discovered it's, it's actually really very important to children's educational development as well, that they feel that their well-being is taken care of. Yeah, because so. happy kids learn better. Yes, essentially, yes. <laughs> essentially, yes. But we will be hearing that in, in expert terms later on. Yeah, yeah. Don't, you don't want it from me, going happy kids learn better. You want to hear it from a psychologist uh, or a school teacher. Uh, looking at uh, school transport now, because a major update to the Dubai Taxi Corporation's school bus app has this week ensured coverage for 20,000 more students. Now, I pick my children up uh, in the car each day. But Jen, you have your son go on the bus, don't you? I do. That's right. But this um, this scheme is currently for government schools. And so this is the DTC, which is a subsidiary of the RTA. And it's integrated 58 new government schools onto its parent facing app, which as a bus using parent, I have to say, sounds fantastic. Now, this app previously covered around 800 routes, but it's now being upgraded as part of an effort to expand services to cover the whole of Dubai. The app allows parents to track the movement of buses to and from schools across the Emirate, sending instant notifications about arrivals and departures to parents and also allows parents to report a child's absence in in advance, reducing unnecessary journeys and delays. Okay, this is a really fascinating story because just two years after opening, the first Chinese curriculum school in Dubai says it's experienced a tripling of its school role. Yes, the Chinese school Dubai says its arrival in the city has allowed families who had previously split up to keep their children in the Chinese curriculum in mainland China to be reunited here. Meanwhile, a significant proportion of the school's now 500 new pupils have also transferred from other international schools. The school, which teaches most of its lessons in Mandarin, is the first in the city to offer a fully Chinese curriculum education. Meanwhile, rising demand for British curriculum education has also led one school's provider to unveil plans for a new campus. Dubai British School is to open a third facility next year following high demand at its two current campuses in Emirates Hills and Jumeirah Park. The DBS Jumeirah campus will be situated near to the canal in Al Wasl and will feature sports fields, a swimming pool, a theatre, playgrounds, labs and more. The new school, which is managed by Talim Group, will initially cater to students from early years to year six. Thank you very much indeed, Jennifer, for that roundup of the sort of top educational stories that have been crossing our desk over the last few days. It's something you are or something you feel. Uh, And it's a really interesting sort of question, which is worth, I think, asking yourself. It is our... Uh, I want to say weekly. I nearly said bi-weekly, but that would be inaccurate. It's a weekly programme that we do here when we put the focus on university and schools stories. And this was an obvious one for us because student numbers at international higher education institutions in Dubai are up by 8% over 12 months. That's according to the Knowledge and Human Development Authority, better known as the KHDA, who've been busy this week. There are loads of reports coming out of them this week. They say the total number of students currently enrolled in universities in the Emirate exceeds 30,000. But also increasing is the number of international students choosing Dubai to complete their studies. It's risen now to it's risen now by 12% to comprise nearly a third of all students. Now, another interesting data set, uh, which they released this week, shows that graduates, uh, at least 80% of those who've graduated from a higher education institution in Dubai in the last two academic years, are already in, um, in, in employment or they're undertaking further study. And the KHDA says that's good news for Dubai's developing knowledge economy. And I think it's fair to say that I agree with them. To find out more about the facts and the figures, earlier I caught up with Dr. Nitesh Sugnani. Now, he is director of the Higher Education Classification and Rating Framework at the KHDA. And I asked him, what are the most popular courses? Yes, we've had positive growth in student numbers across various programs this year. The most popular programs are in business, engineering, and IT. Uh, In fact, uh, nearly 50% of our students are enrolled in a business program, uh, followed by business, engineering, and IT, 
Uh, we've also seen growth in media and architecture, and uh, these are becoming increasingly more popular. And if we were to look at the last two years, the most significant growth has been across engineering programs in Dubai. Well, that does bode very well for the future employment market here in the UAE. Lots of educated people doing the jobs that we need in the future. What is the profile of the students that you've been seeing, whether they're full-time or part-time, whether they're doing bachelor's degrees or MAs, you know, or even PhDs, for example? So we've got 30,000 students from 160 nationalities uh, enrolled across uh, the various institutions in Dubai. Of these 30% are international students. Uh, these are students that come to Dubai specifically for the purpose of higher education. In terms of the, the mix between part-time and full-time, nearly 80% study full-time and the other 20% study part-time. We've got around 60% students uh, enrolled in undergraduate programs and 40% in graduate programs. Uh, these tend to be working professionals that also have a job in Dubai. Interesting. So there's a real mix there, but predominantly people are indeed coming to study in the country and that's their their main focus. How about students of determination, for example, are they catered for in universities in Dubai? Yeah, inclusive education is a key priority for Dubai uh, and it's the first time that we've published numbers around students of determination. A couple of years ago, KHTA put out an inclusive education policy framework and this framework uh, was designed to provide guidance to institutions on how to better support and encourage students of determination to enroll at universities. Uh, the framework highlights different areas that universities can focus on, including curriculum adaptation, teaching and learning modifications, uh, use of assistive technology for those that need it, uh, and also to provide students of determination with access to work placement programs. Now, for the first time, you've actually released figures on whether graduates go on to get jobs here and obviously that's a key indicator of both the success of the universities and you know whether or not people like living in the United Arab Emirates and it seems like the figures are pretty encouraging aren't they? Yeah we're very encouraged by the figures uh, that have come out uh, in terms of graduates and where they go. Uh, it just goes to show that Dubai is an attractive place for students to build a career after their graduation. Uh, our institutions as we mentioned earlier they offer a diverse range of programs and these programs align both with the current and the future needs of the Dubai economy. Uh, we're also seeing universities build stronger partnerships with industry, and they're offering students with better career guidance and employment support. And in fact, many programs also include an internship, which allows students to gain valuable work experience even before they graduate. There's been a lot of focus on those internships programs recently, and, and indeed for teenagers as well, before they go into university. So that is certainly an interesting growth area. I mean, what do these figures overall tell you about how higher education is actually developing in the Emirates? Yeah, it's, it shows a very positive sign. Uh, the sector is definitely on a strong growth trajectory. Uh, we've seen consistent growth in terms of student numbers, a number of institutions and the number of programs on offer in the last few years. Overall, this fits very well with Dubai's larger plan, which is to be a global hub for higher education. Uh, and as part of this plan, we want to continue to attract more world-class universities, attract more international students, uh, and bring students to what is a very safe, secure city, uh, where they'll also be able to find jobs once they graduate. Interesting words there from Dr. Nitesh Shugnani. Certainly good news for the landscape, the employment and the university landscape here in the Emirate. Uh, Dr. Shugnani is Director of the Higher Education Classification and Rating Framework at the KHDA. Now, we wanted to find out whether studying here is something that you would consider for yourself or for your children. If you're on the way back from the school run now, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 These three people got in touch with us. They grew up here in the UAE. Two of them decided to study at university here and one who didn't. Have a listen to their views. Growing up over here, I was exposed to such diverse cultures that it made it easier to choose to study over here. I studied in Middlesex University, Dubai. The appeal of earning a UK degree while living in a cultural rich and diverse city of Dubai was an opportunity I really could not let go. As for the experience, it's been incredibly rewarding. I was blessed with great tutors. The multicultural environment at Middlesex University has exposed me to different perspectives, ideas, and ways of living. The faculty, like I mentioned earlier, super supportive. Curriculum was absolutely challenging, but at the same time engaging, aligning with current industry standards and practices. 
Choosing at the age of 18 and 17, sometimes the person is really young and we don't know exactly what field we're really passionate about. But the university experience itself was good. I believe this is the age where you get to know people, you will make so many memories in the university. University of Georgia have really good courses. I graduated in 2018. Nowadays, I can see my university have really developed. There is so much activity. I didn't go to university here in the UAE, but at the time I finished school, I uh, did my GCSEs and A-levels, and it was the late 90s, so there wasn't many options to choose from. Also, I think I was keen to actually travel and study abroad and just have that independent experience of being on my own uh, for the first time and um, also get that university life experience, I guess. Okay, so if you're considering uh, staying here to study or if you're considering keeping your children here to study at university, we're going to find out a little bit more about what it's like, what the actual student experience is like. We've got loads of students joining us on the line in the next few minutes. So if you're looking at that type of thing, if you're at that stage of life and you want to find out more about it, make sure you stick with us. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. It is our, uh, I want to say weekly. I nearly said bi-weekly, but that would be inaccurate. It's a weekly programme that we do here when we put the focus on university and schools stories. And this was an obvious one for us because student numbers at international higher education institutions in Dubai are up by 8% over 12 months. That's according to the Knowledge and Human Development Authority, better known as the KHDA, who've been busy this week. Loads of reports coming out of them this week. They say the total number of students currently enrolled in universities in the Emirate exceeds 30,000. But also increasing is the number of international students choosing Dubai to complete their studies. It's risen now to, it's risen now by 12% to comprise nearly a third of all students. Now, another interesting data set, uh, which they released this week, shows that graduates, uh, at least 80% of those who've graduated from a higher education institution in Dubai in the last two academic years, are already in, um, in, in employment or they're undertaking further study. And the KHDA says that's good news for Dubai's developing knowledge economy. And I think it's fair to say that I agree with them. To find out more about the facts and the figures, earlier I caught up with Dr. Nitesh Sugnani. Now, he is director of the Higher Education Classification and Rating Framework at the KHDA. And I asked him, what are the most popular courses? Yes, we've had positive growth in student numbers across various programs this year. The most popular programs are in business, engineering, and IT. Uh, In fact, uh, nearly 50% of our students are enrolled in a business program, uh, followed by business, engineering, and IT. Uh, We've also seen growth in media and architecture, and uh, these are becoming increasingly more popular. And if we were to look at the last two years, the most significant growth has been across engineering programs in Dubai. Well, that does bode very well for the future employment market here in the UAE. Lots of educated people doing the jobs that we need in the future. What is the profile of the students that you've been seeing, whether they're full-time or part-time, whether they're doing bachelor's degrees or MAs, you know, or even PhDs, for example? So we've got 30,000 students from 160 nationalities uh, enrolled across uh, the various institutions in Dubai. Of these 30% are international students. Uh, These are students that come to Dubai specifically for the purpose of higher education. In terms of the the mix between part-time and full-time, nearly 80% study full-time and the other 20% study part-time. We've got around 60% students uh, enrolled in undergraduate programs and 40% in graduate programs. Uh, These tend to be working professionals that also have a job in Dubai. Interesting. So there's a real mix there, but predominantly people are indeed coming to study in the country and that's their their main focus. How about students of determination, for example, are they catered for in universities in Dubai? Yeah, inclusive education is a key priority for Dubai uh, and it's the first time that we've published numbers around students of determination. A couple of years ago, KHDA put out an inclusive education policy framework and this framework uh, was designed to provide guidance to institutions on how to better support 
and encourage students of determination to enroll at universities. Uh, the framework highlights different areas that universities can focus on, including curriculum adaptation, teaching and learning modifications, uh, use of assistive technology for those that need it, uh, and also to provide students of determination with access to work placement programs. Now, for the first time, you've actually released figures on whether graduates go on to get jobs here. And obviously, that's a key indicator of both the success of the universities and you know whether or not people like living in the United Arab Emirates. And it seems like the figures are pretty encouraging, aren't they? Yeah, we're very encouraged by the figures uh, that have come out uh, in terms of graduates and where they go. Uh, it just goes to show that Dubai is an attractive place for students to build a career after their graduation. Uh, our institutions, as we mentioned earlier, they offer a diverse range of programs. And these programs align both with the current and the future needs of the Dubai economy. Uh, we're also seeing universities build stronger partnerships with industry, and they're offering students with better career guidance and employment support. And in fact, many programs also include an internship, which allows students to gain valuable work experience even before they graduate. There's been a lot of focus on those internships programs recently, and, and indeed for teenagers as well, before they go into university. So that is certainly an interesting growth area. I mean, what do these figures overall tell you about how higher education is actually developing in the Emirates? Yeah, it's, it shows a very positive sign. Uh, the sector is definitely on a strong growth trajectory. Uh, we've seen consistent growth in terms of student numbers, a number of institutions and the number of programs on offer in the last few years. Overall, this fits very well with Dubai's larger plan, which is to be a global hub for higher education. Uh, and as part of this plan, we want to continue to attract more world-class universities, attract more international students, uh, and bring students to what is a very safe, secure city, uh, where they'll also be able to find jobs once they graduate. Interesting words there from Dr. Nitesh Shugnani. Certainly good news for the landscape, the employment and the university landscape here in the Emirate. Uh, Dr. Shugnani is Director of the Higher Education Classification and Rating Framework at the KHDA. Now, we wanted to find out whether studying here is something that you would consider for yourself or for your children. If you're on the way back from the school run now, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 These three people got in touch with us. They grew up here in the UAE. Two of them decided to study at university here and one who didn't. Have a listen to their views. Growing up over here, I was exposed to such diverse cultures that it made it easier to choose to study over here. I studied in Middlesex University, Dubai. The appeal of earning a UK degree while living in a cultural rich and diverse city of Dubai was an opportunity I really could not let go. As for the experience, it's been incredibly rewarding. I was blessed with great tutors. The multicultural environment at Middlesex University has exposed me to different perspectives, ideas and ways of living. The faculty, like I mentioned earlier, super supportive. Curriculum was absolutely challenging, but at the same time engaging, aligning with current industry standards and practices. Choosing at the age of 18 and 17, sometimes the person is really young and we don't know exactly what field we're really passionate about. But the university experience itself was good. I believe this is the age where you get to know people, you will make so many memories in the university. University of Georgia have really good courses. I graduated in 2018. Nowadays, I can see my university have really developed. There is so much activity. I didn't go to university here in the UAE, but at the time I finished school, I uh, did my GCSEs and A-levels, and it was the late 90s, so there wasn't many options to choose from. Also, I think I was keen to actually travel and study abroad and just have that independent experience of being on my own uh, for the first time and um, also get that university life experience, I guess. OK, so if you're considering uh, staying here to study or if you're considering keeping your children here to study at university, we're going to find out a little bit more about what it's like, what the actual student experience is like. We've got loads of students joining us on the line in the next few minutes. So if you're looking at that type of thing, if you're at that stage of life and you want to find out more about it, make sure you stick with us. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai, passionate about creating personalised 
prioritise learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Yeah, welcome back to the show. It is 12.20. Now, more pupils are choosing to go to university in Dubai. As student numbers in the universities here topped more than 30,000 last year, that's prompted us to take a look at not just how it's boosting the UAE's knowledge economy, but what it's actually like to study here. Because the whole emirate is attracting people from abroad who come to study and then they stay and get jobs here. The number of uh, international students here has risen by 12%. That's over the last year or so. And they now comprise nearly a third of all students. And 80% of graduates in this country then go on to do either further study or they are getting jobs. That's 80% from the last two years. Now, to find out more about why teenagers are choosing Dubai's universities, earlier I caught up with Madhav Yuneja. Now, he's a sales director at the consultant's Crimson Education, but he also went to university here in the UAE. I actually came to the country to study. So I did my high school in India. And then I was looking at universities around the world to apply to. And I eventually picked New York University, Abu Dhabi, for several reasons. As a child, for a few years, I did live in Dubai. So it was a place I did relate to. Also, from my family's perspective, this was a lot closer to home. A three-hour flight here compared to a 10-hour plus flight if I was going to the U.S. I also did secure a 100% scholarship. And that was really what sealed the deal. And I picked NYU Abu Dhabi. And those four years were the most transformative years of my life. I think it was a good combination of getting that U.S. liberal education in the Middle East context. And it sort of combined different aspects, which was very interesting. And I think what it also did was it paved the way for me to then post-university get employed at this edtech company, Crimson Education. And I think this was a trend I saw across a lot of my peers in university as well. Uh, just just for context, NYU Abu Dhabi is a very global university. In a typical class of 400 stu- students, you have more than 100 nationalities represented, with the majority of them coming from overseas. It's a very unique undergraduate university experience. And what I also saw from uh, sort of among my graduating class was a lot of them picked Dubai and Abu Dhabi as places for their first shop. And this was across top companies in education in technology in consulting finance and so on so we do from personal experience also do see dubai and the ua emerging as this hub where fresh graduates want to launch their careers that is really interesting to hear because i guess as a consequence because you had such a good experience here it doesn't surprise you that dubai universities have recorded a 12 percent annual growth in the last year, and they've got 30,000 or more than 30,000 students currently enrolled in university programs. True. And it doesn't surprise me that 80% of students graduating here are finding jobs as well. Dubai is definitely, and and Abu Dhabi as well, is becoming really a regional and even global hub for employment in certain industries. And I think this is fueled by a combination of factors. And we see that to an extent uh, with our work at Crimson as well. I think For students who are committed to going to the best universities in the world, it's typically your Ivy League, Oxford, Cambridge. And those students are still very much US, UK committed. But there are students and families for whom a lot of other criteria play a bigger role when deciding where to study. And I think with COVID, this has been amplified further with the geopolitical uncertainty and a lot of the uncertainty due to the pandemic, where there were concerns about sort of sending your kids to US, UK, Canada and so on. Uh, regional universities did become an attractive option. So I think for families for whom that is important, the UAE in this region has emerged as a really strong base with multiple good university options. Uh, We also, we work with a lot of students applying for master's programs. And we do see a lot of them who actually picked the UAE having studied here in university or even studied elsewhere and then come and work here and then looking at sort of master's options as well. So I can see the attraction of Dubai and the UAE. I can see the attraction of wanting to do a degree here and then stay on and work. Are the degrees that one gets here, are they globally seen as good as, for example, degrees from European or Australian or American or other established countries, universities? I would say regionally for sure. When it comes to global recognition, 
I think there's specific sort of household names like New York University, definitely. NYU Abu Dhabi has really emerged as one of the success stories for an American university setting up in a campus abroad. And it's definitely beyond the region with students even getting road scholarships, going to Harvard Law and working at some of the top companies in consulting, finance and so on. I would say for universities like American University, Sharjah, American University, Dubai and particularly American universities across the region. I think for local employers uh, across the region, they have sort of become target schools with those companies hiring a large number of their graduates from their specific schools. But I would say it's a combination of graduates being employed from this region and outside. I think what's fairly clear is Dubai is becoming a place where people are gravitating towards for sort of going there and building their career. That is Madhav Juneja. Now, he's a sales director at the consultants Crimson Education. So he's got that sort of lens on it. But he also, as you just heard, went to university here in the UAE. And joining me in the studio is a former alumni from Middlesex University, Dubai. Uh, Roxa Kamal grew up here. She went to Middlesex where she studied media, advertising and PR. And she joins me right now in the studio. Roxa, thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Absolutely. Well, it's great to get your insights on this because, like I said, you grew up here, you went to school here, but why did you choose to study at a university here rather than perhaps go abroad? What was your thinking at the time? So the plan was to always go to abroad. Um, And when I, the plan was always like, okay, I'm just going to go to abroad, right? Because that's what I kept looking like everyone was doing it. My contemporaries were doing it. My friends were doing it. I was like, okay, fine. Right after school, after year 12, I'm out. And I'm going to go to, you know, like university abroad. But plan just changed because I came across Middlesex University. So unlike, you know, doing business or science, I've always been interested in media, social sciences. It's always what I've wanted to take. Um, I left school pretty early at year uh, 11. I didn't do grade 12 or 13. I left by year 11 and I came across Middlesex because they were providing a foundation program that covers everything inclusive of media. That's like a year 12, but in university. Not many unis were doing that. Uh, And also Middlesex was very well known for media studies back then with great faculty coming from the UK. So I was like, okay, I don't need to go to abroad. I can just do it all from here while have the same experience while I'm in London, London, you know, for instance. Like, obviously, um, it's a different experience where you're abroad because, you know, you're in a different country, you're getting the vibe and all of that, etc. But it was easy. It was cost effective. I'm getting the same quality of education. I'm being exposed to industries over here as well because the the program I did was not just theory, but it was practical. So I was getting if anything, more exposure while being where I am. You know, I grew up in Dubai. It's my hometown. I, I love being here, you know. So, yeah, it was just cost effective. So, like, let's go. Let's That's, go I mean, it's so interesting that in many ways you were slightly course-led because, of course, there are some degrees that aren't available here in Dubai. Isn't, is that right? Yes. So what type of courses can you not do here? Is it the, the science-based ones? I think it depends because if you're talking about now, so I graduated in 2015 when I was doing my research right out of school, which is 2010 or 2011. No university was providing media studies to that extensive uh, extensive level the way Middlesex was doing. Also, when I joined, it was their first cohort. Like they were trying to test, test out the waters, you know, like, OK, how many students can we get on board? Um, I had other choices, but it wasn't as great as what Middlesex was doing. So I think for me, it was because of what they offered. They also had scholarship programs, which really helped me out with, you know, my um, financial budgeting, I would say, and my plan. It just all fell right into my alley. And I was like, you know what? This is a sign. This is perfect. Uh, it not only had media, but also had like PR and advertisement, mix of blend of everything. And it also had blend of journalism as well. So I was getting a lot in that one package, if I may put it. So, and I wasn't finding this anywhere else, not even abroad, to be honest. So, yeah, it was definitely decision was cost uh, led, but other factors too, not just cost. It just worked out. Were your parents pleased that you decided to stay at home? Because <laughs> my uh, mom would be pleased if I wanted to stay. Actually, no, maybe by 18, maybe she did want me to go, come to think of it. I think, yeah, because I mean, obviously the parents never, I don't mean this in a way like they don't want you to see to grow, but they, they always want to keep their kids closer, right? Like no matter what, exactly. So yeah, they were definitely pleased and they became even more pleased when I kept telling them, oh, I got a scholarship, you know? So, yeah, like, who would not <laughs> be 
place <laughs> exactly. with that vibe. <laughs> and my dad eventually understood like, okay, I understand what media is now and I see why she's doing it and she's great at it. So let's go with it because they only know, they they were exposed to only science and business. Just like, you know, previously in our schools, we had science business. Now in my school, they have psychology, they have media studies. So, you know, as, uh, you know, the generation is upcoming, the years are evolving, education is evolving, More there are more program selections. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great. So we've got about 20 seconds left with you. Did you find it easy afterwards to get a job here, of course, because that's a big sell for universities here, while the rest of the world seems to be going through a downturn at the moment. If you go to university, here or you come to Dubai, there's a lot of employment options. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I can't speak for everybody, so I'll speak for, from my journey. It was, it was easy for me in the sense because we had a careers hub that really, really took care of their students and we were referred to multiple industries. Um, it could be anybody within media. I was referred to a PR agency and that's how my journey started in PR. You know, I was looking to do internships and that's how I landed my first ever job within a PR agency because my CV was sent across, you know, word of mouth and stuff. So for me, it definitely helped me and it just took a step forward from there. Like Middlesex really helped me understand, okay, this is what your expertise are, we can push you over here. Our careers have like definitely helped. Roxar, it's been a pleasure to have you on the radio. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. in to talk to us. Little known fact, one of Roxar's professors at university, <laughs> one of his one of her teachers at university was our very own Richard Dean. Was he a good teacher? He was excellent. You have to say that. You have to say that. <laughs> that is a Roxar Kamal who grew up here but also went to Middlesex University, Dubai, where she studied media, advertising and PR. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8.